Well, good morning, everybody. I want to add my welcome to the uh, Bankies, Jan and Christine and Michael. So glad to uh, see you here in person and to hang out a little bit with you this week. Uh, we're excited to have that opportunity. And I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. Our text this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you would, grab a Bible and open up there. Uh, we left off at verse 10 last week, and we're just going to look at the next two verses, the, the last two verses of chapter 1 today. So I'm going to read it for you at this time. This is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God written through the Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our text today, and I want to talk to you today about prayer, specifically how we should pray in tough times. In our text today, the Apostle Paul writes the Christians, his friends in Thessalonica, concerning how he has been praying for them. And before we jump into these specific verses, I want to review what comes right before them, because Paul refers to that in verse 11 by using the words, to this end, or as some translations put it, because of this. And that raises the question, because of what? That's answered by the, the verses right before the ones we just read. Paul's describing there the troublemakers in Thessalonica who are afflicting and persecuting the Christians in the church there. So it's very important for us to understand, to understand this passage, that the church in Thessalonica was very young, very new bunch of believers that were meeting there. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, this church planting team, had stopped in Thessalonica on their second missionary journey. They preached the gospel to them, and a number of them had come to faith in Christ. But Paul and his team left fairly quickly because of the persecution that arose. And shortly after that, Paul wrote them a letter from Corinth we now call that the letter, we call it 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians was actually the very first letter that Paul, of all the epistles Paul wrote that we know of, 1 Thessalonians was the very first one. And then it's about a year later, we believe, that Paul writes this letter that we're studying that we call 2 Thessalonians. So it's a letter to this young group of believers in the city of Thessalonica who are enduring severe persecution and affliction. But in spite of all of the hardships that they're enduring, Paul's commending them for growing in the faith and for abounding in love for each other. That's back in verse 3. However, they were also weary from the afflictions and from the trials that they were going through. And I think that's one of the main reasons that Paul wrote them as well, to encourage them to keep standing firm and having unwavering faith. What I want you to see today is how Paul prayed for them, how he prayed for them, because in essence, this is a model for us of how to pray in tough times. And this is so helpful to us today because we're living in a pretty extraordinary time in human history. And what Paul writes here is a template of sorts for our prayers. And I hope that you'll be encouraged by this as much as I've been encouraged by it this week. You know, when, when we're faced with pain in our lives or difficulties in our lives, I think our usual inclination is to pray something sort of like, you know, God, please take this away. 
God, uh, please end this pain, this, this suffering in my life. Please just take it out of my life. And yet Paul didn't ask God to take the trials away. Did you notice that when we read that a few minutes ago? Instead, Paul prayed for them to grow in their kingdom perspective and to glorify God through their suffering. And this suggests that we might need to look at our prayers uh, for one another, uh, maybe even a little bit differently some, at times. Yeah, it's legitimate. It's legitimate to ask God to take away trials and suffering. Just like Paul prayed that God would take away his uh, thorn in the flesh three times. But I think perhaps our greater focus should be on our growth and endurance rather than on just the relief from pain that we'd like to experience. So the first thing that we see about this prayer is the need to pray faithfully. So if you haven't already, please grab your sermon notes, uh, pull them out, or uh, open them up on your app. And we're going to start here, the need to pray faithfully. Paul begins by saying that he prayed for them constantly. The word that he used is always. We always pray for you. What an encouragement that would be to get that in the letter from the Apostle Paul, right? It actually reminds me of Paul's first letter to them where Paul writes this. Paul wrote, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So notice the words pray continually. Another translation of that phrase is pray without ceasing. Paul wrote a similar thing to uh, other churches, including his friends at, in Colossae. This is what he said to them. For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, excuse me, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And I believe that this verse sort of captures what he was saying to his friends in Thessalonia. Okay, we haven't stopped praying for you. You're on our hearts. We are just constantly praying for you and for all that you're going through there. So what exactly does Paul mean when he says we're praying constantly or we're praying for you without ceasing? Well, I don't believe that Paul is suggesting that every word we speak needs to be a prayer, but that we need to develop this habit of constantly going to the Lord in prayer. In other words, that prayer is such a pattern of our lives, such a habit, that, it sent, that it's like we're in this constant place of communion with the Lord, talking to him. Understand this, prayer is just constant communion and conversation, conscious conversation with the Lord. It's really a gift that God has given us to develop our relationship with him. It's not something that we got to do, it's something that we get to do. And that sort of changes everything. It's constantly talking with the Lord about whatever is on our hearts. I want you to notice that the Thessalonians were always on Paul's heart and on his mind. And it's for that reason that he's always on his knees, lifting them up in prayer. Listen, beloved, we, we basically pray about the things that are on our hearts. And that means that what we pray for really reveals a lot about us and tells something about who we are. Now, in light of the Lord's glorious return, which is what Paul was talking about right before this prayer, 
And each of the three chapters in, in, in 2 Thessalonians ends with a prayer. But he's been talking about Jesus coming back and what that means for God uh, having the last word. Paul's been saying you, you're going, undergoing suffering and people are being very unkind and unjust to you. But I want you to remember that God will have the final word. There's a day of judgment coming, Paul says. God's going to make everything right on that day. So don't fret about all of the evildoers. Don't fret about those who mistreat you. God will have the last day. And then in light of that, this is what he prays for them. Three things. That they would live lives that are worthy of God's calling on them. That they would have God's power to fulfill good works in their lives. And that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in them. So that's where we're going. That's my outline today. And again, this is a great model for us of what to pray for other people. Instead of praying, you know, just, God, will you please bless so-and-so, and would you please bless them? You know, here's some specific things that we can consider praying for them. And we can pray these for our children and for our grandchildren. These are things we can pray for our friends, actually for anybody that we really care about. Because we pray for those who are on our hearts. And the prayers that Paul gives here are very specific. And here's the first one. Pray to be worthy of his calling. Pray to be worthy of God's calling on our lives. How interesting that Paul didn't ask them to be delivered from persecution. Instead, he prayed that they would live up to the calling that God had given them. And so that raises the question, what exactly is God's calling? What does Paul mean by that? And to help us answer that question, I want to look at a few verses from God's Word that speak about the calling of God. But we're just going to sort of scratch the surface here, and I want to suggest to you that this would be a fantastic study for you to look into on your own, maybe even this week, to study the calling of God. You can Google that. I came across some great articles about that this week. So here's a great place to start. Uh, living worthy of our calling. is Understand, this is a concept that Paul used very often in his letters. For example, Romans 1.1 begins this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul here, and in 11 of his epistles altogether, uh, starts the letter by saying, I'm called by God to be an apostle. So that's one aspect of God's calling. I don't believe God calls apostles today, but I do believe that God calls all of his children today to one thing or another. That's why God gives us gifts. God gives each of his children spiritual gifts, and he wants us to use those gifts to bear fruit for his kingdom. And in that sense, it's a calling from God. Maybe some of you are wrestling with God's calling in your life. Especially, I would encourage you to study this whole uh, truth, this doctrine of calling. Maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. Maybe God's calling you to be a pastor. Maybe God's calling you to some other kind of uh, ministry, whether that's full-time or uh, part-time. Uh, there's a sense of calling that God gives to us as his children. God also gives us different occupations to use for his kingdom. And God also entrusts uh, many of us with families 
children, grandchildren. I think that's part of our calling as well, to, to raise them for the Lord, to influence them for good, to be faithful husbands and fathers and wives and mothers and grandparents. Again, I think that all of that is involved in God's calling on our lives. But it includes more than that as well. Here's a verse that I like in Philippians. Paul wrote this to his friends in Philippi. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So how does Paul use the word call there? Well, Paul's talking there about pursuing maturity, spiritual maturity, growing in Christ-likeness. And for many, understand this, that God's calling involves some sort of suffering, some sort of uh, trials in our lives. That's definitely the context in Philippians chapter 3, if you look carefully there. And certainly persecution and suffering was part of the calling that the Christians in Thessalonica were experiencing. And so for many Christians, I think it's important to understand that suffering is part of God's calling. It's how we give glory to God by how we respond to the suffering he allows into our lives. There's actually uh, three specific different kinds of calling that, that I think that uh, we read about in God's word. God uses, or uh, Paul especially, uses that word calling, that concept of calling in a variety of ways. And uh, here's one final passage that is kind of the most foundational of all, the most basic. This is Romans 8:28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul is talking to his friends in Rome and he's talking to them about the process by which God called them to be saved. The process of salvation and the different aspects of it and he says one of the aspects of that is you were called by God. So it's one of the foundational steps in the process of our salvation. That's some call that the effective calling of God. And here's a definition of that kind of calling. This is by Wayne Grudem in his theology book. Effective calling is an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. So that's sort of the most foundational part of God's calling in our lives. It's where he invites us and he calls us and he draws us to himself for salvation. And again, I want to encourage you to study this more on your own. We don't have any more time than that today. But this is a fascinating doctrine that is worth understanding more. Let me also say this today. Paul understood the evangelistic value of having an unwavering faith in the midst of trials. And so he's praying for them to live out their calling, their faith, in such a way that other people would see it and be drawn to Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. So what does Paul mean by being made worthy of your calling? That being made worthy sometimes I think is misunderstood, so please listen carefully. Please know Paul is not saying that our works will get us to heaven. He makes that clear in all of his epistles. It's not by works we're saved, it's by grace alone, by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. So, Paul does pray for them that God would make them 
worthy of their calling as his children. And I think that is a great thing that we would pray for one another, to be made worthy of our calling. Well, that brings us to the second thing that Paul prays for here, and that's at the verse, end of verse 11. And the second thing that I think is great for us to pray for each other is this, pray for his power to fulfill good works. Pray for God's power in our life to fulfill good works for him. Paul puts it like this at the end of verse 11. He says, we pray that our God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So Paul is essentially praying for the power to do good works. It's in his power, it's not in our power, that we accomplish anything good for the Lord. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that God, that Paul is praying for here. Yeah, so what he's saying is, absent the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be no fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I think the New Living Translation especially captures this part of his prayer well, so I want to read that for you. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Once more, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. So in essence, what Paul is praying for the Thessalonians is that they would have big goals, big desires to do good things for God, to accomplish great things for the Lord. And he's saying, you know, when God gives you a desire to do something for God's kingdom, go for it. Do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of that. This past Thursday night, Jackie and I were invited to be part of our global missions team barbecue. And we held that barbecue at the Anderson's home. And it was just such a sweet time of fellowship to uh, uh, gather together and to hear stories. And one of the highlights for us of that evening was hearing the testimonies of what God is doing in different people's lives. And so we had missionaries there from Malawi and from Niger and from Peru. And uh, we got to hear four of those missionaries just kind of sharing what God is doing in their field of ministry and in their country. And it just really struck us how much God is on the move and uh, what he is doing and how strongly he is working. And it was so encouraging. And finally, we got to hear from Reese, our new youth pastor, who did, just did a great job sharing his own story of how God led him into youth ministry and to Bible school and to seminary. And, uh, you know, in all five of those testimonies that we heard Thursday night, uh, what impressed us with is God put something on somebody's heart, hearts of his children, uh, to do for him in faith, and then God gave them the power to pursue it and to carry that out. That was so encouraging to hear. And by the way, I want to enc encourage you to come this Saturday night. You heard them talk about the uh, desert and desert, the Tamajic Report Saturday night. Um, our missionaries from Niger have some fantastic, inspiring stories to share with all of us. I've got to hear many of them already. And I just want to encourage you to come Saturday night and to hear what God is doing in Niger. We call it desert and desert because they're living and serving right smack dab in the middle of the Sahara Desert in Africa. And uh, the Tamajic people, if you know anything about Lake City, you know that uh, our adoption of the Tamajic people there is just part of our DNA as a church. And if you're newer to Lake City, you really need to be there because you don't understand Lake City unless you understand our Tamajic people group adoption and our 
uh, partnership in Niger. So please come. You'll be encouraged and inspired in your faith, and we're going to have a lot of fun. All right, back to Second uh, Thessalonians. I just want to remind you that God's plan for your life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God's plan for every single one of his children is to do great things for him. That's why he saved you. That's why he uh, called you. That's why he gave you uh, spiritual gifts. That's why he uh, shaped you and gave you the experiences that he has in your life. In fact, I want you to listen to how Paul describes it to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every single follower of Jesus Christ is his workmanship, his, God's masterpiece, created in Jesus Christ to do good works for the Lord. And he, God, has prepared those good works for us even before we were made. That's really significant to think about. Listen, beloved, we're not saved by good works. That's very clear from the verses that come right before this passage, this verse in Ephesians 2.10. But Paul goes on to say we were saved for good works and we glorify God by the good works he gives us to do here for him. Maybe he's calling some of you to uh, start a brand new ministry for him or to step up and lead a ministry uh, where we have a need right now. Maybe God's calling some of you to uh, get trained and to be a pastor, to be a missionary, full-time ministry. Doesn't necessarily need to be full-time. There's all kinds of different ways that God calls us to serve him and to bear fruit for his kingdom. But whatever God puts on your heart, I want to encourage you today to respond in faith, to say yes, and to ask God to give you his power and his direction to do that. Listen, beloved, these are days of great need in our world. And that means these are also days of great opportunity. Great opportunity. People are looking for hope today. And we have the good news of hope in Jesus Christ. Let's share it. Man, let's, let's let people know where our hope is. God called you to himself. God saved you by his son. God gifted you by his Holy Spirit. He has already planned good works for your life, even before you were born. It's up to you and to me to discover how we fit into God's plan and to walk in them, to live them out, and to find out what he wants us to do for him. And then may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. That's what Paul's praying. And again, absent the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So pray for his power as well. You know, the best illustration I know about the power of the Holy Spirit and how that works in our, our lives is one that Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon the great British preacher, uh, gave over 100 years ago. Basically what he said is this, imagine that you're on the beach, you're on the sand, and you have this big heavy boat there that's sitting on the sand, and, and you want to move it into the water so you can use it. And so you start pushing that boat, get at the back of the boat, and you start trying to push it toward the water, but you can't budge it. It's so big, it's so heavy that you just don't have the strength to budget. So you pull, call over some friends and you say, can you help me move this thing? And so some of you are pushing it and some of you are pulling on it. 
And basically, you still can't get it to budge. You might get it to move an inch or two, but you ain't going anywhere. So that, that's like trying to serve God to do good works in our own power. But then all of a sudden, you notice that the tide is coming in. The tide is rising. The, the level of water is rising. And finally, that rising tide, the incoming tide, comes up and it start, begins to lift the boat up. And it gets the boat completely off the water. Maybe just there's a little bit at the front end touching. But basically, you can get that boat out into the water with just a push of a couple of fingers. It's very easy at that point to move it out into the water. And that's like the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, God gives us both the desire to serve him and the ability, the power to do good things for him. But it's his power. The only time we're going to get anything good done for the Lord is when it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what he's saying to pray for. Third and finally, Paul prayed for the Thessalonians that the name of Jesus would be glorified in them. The third thing to pray for is pray for the name of Jesus to be glorified in others and in ourselves. When we're empowered by God's Spirit, that's when the name of Jesus is magnified in our lives. Now, that word name actually stands for a person's character or reputation. And that's why when we live as hypocrites, we dishonor the name of Jesus Christ. But when our lives shine in righteousness before others, people see our good deeds and they're drawn toward the Savior, not away from him, but toward him. I like the way Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to the words of Christ in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So understand this connection between good works and glorifying God. They go together. They, they work together. And if you were to ask me why sometimes our prayers go unanswered, I believe this is exactly why, in many cases, why God doesn't answer our prayers the way we hope he will. Hopes he will. Let me explain. When I pray for something or for someone that in the end does not bring glory to God, in the end, that's not going to get answered, or at least it's not going to get answered like I hope it will. Okay, God always answers prayer. I'm sure you've heard that. God answers our prayers sometimes with a yes, sometimes with a no, and sometimes it's a wait. Not now. Okay? But I think that often the times that we get the answer no to our prayers it is for this reason. This thing that I'm praying for isn't something that will really glorify the Lord, glorify the name of Jesus. Or perhaps God has a better way to glorify Jesus. I can figure out a way that that might glorify God, but God has a different way he wants to bring glory to himself. Jesus had something to say about this in John 14. You're familiar with this, but I want to read it for you again anyway. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So let me illustrate that for you. You have to understand that in Middle Eastern culture, even to this day I understand, that the name of a person had everything to do with the nature of a person. They, they just go together. In fact, that's why they would often wait in that culture, they would wait to see the nature of a baby before they would give the baby its name. 
because the name and the nature just went together. That's how they saw it. Here's an illustration from the Bible. Remember when Abraham and Sarah wanted a, a son and they were praying to God to give them a son? And finally, the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham and he told Abraham that he indeed was going to answer that prayer and give them a son. They've been praying for decades for a son. And the angel of the Lord said, it's time to answer that prayer. I'm guessing they had probably given up <laughs> that prayer by that point. But at any rate, Sarah overheard that conversation. And do you remember what Sarah did? She laughed, right? Sarah laughed. She overheard from outside and she laughed. And, uh, but God told Abraham and Sarah that they were to name their child, their son, Isaac. That's how we pronounce it in English, Isaac. But in Hebrew, it's something like Yitzhak. Yitzhak. And the name Yitzhak means what? It means laughter. Right on. Okay? Not too profound, but that's what it means. What that means, though, is this. Every time Abraham and Isaac called their son Yitzhak, they were saying laughter. This is laughable. The word even sounds like laughing. Okay? And the reason for that is because name and nature go together in that culture. So when Jesus says, if you ask for anything in my name, what he's saying is this, it has to be consistent with who I am, with my nature. And if it is, that will bring glory to me and I will do it. Then I will do it. Another way to say that is this, by this, the name of Jesus is glorified. And that's what Paul was praying for his friends in Thessalonica. You know, for the believer, that's our ultimate goal in life, to bring glory to God. And the only way that we will ever do that is by God's grace, not in our own power, but by God's power, and by his grace. And so Paul closes out his prayer saying, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk for a couple of minutes about application. I have four next steps to explore with you today. And the first one is this. I choose to grow in my devotion to prayer. To grow in my devotion to prayer. You know, many times in the New Testament, we are commanded to be devoted to prayer. In one way or another, we're, we're told that. And so clearly, this is something that God desires for us. And he wants to be a priority. And so I want to start today by asking you to make a decision today to grow in your own devotion to prayer. Choose to just elevate its importance in your life. In other words, decide you want to be more intentional in prayer. And I would suggest that to do that effectively, you need to develop some goals and some systems for your prayer life. Write out some specific prayer goals. Make yourself some prayer lists. Maybe talk with someone who uh, you know has a developed prayer life and ask them how they do it. But Choose to grow in your devotion to prayer. Here's next step number two. I choose to pray more for others. To pray more for others. And the key word there is others. Okay? I think most of us pray, but the question is how much do we pray for other people? And the biblical word for that is intercession. Intercession. And I want to encourage you today to resolve, especially to pray for others who are suffering. That's what Paul was doing here in the, these verses that we're studying today. Be specific as you pray for those that they would find purpose, that they would find purpose 
in the pain and affliction that they're enduring. Pray that they would have God's kingdom perspective in the midst of it and that God would empower them for whatever he wants to do in their lives in the midst of all of that. I'd also suggest that your intercession for other people be the vast majority of your prayer life. If you're spending most of your time praying for yourself and your own needs, I would suggest to you that that needs to change that you need to decide that you're gonna grow in your intercessory prayer for others. Here's a couple of suggestions of how you can do that. Now, I would encourage you to sign up and be part of one of our prayer focus groups. You know, We have a total of eight prayer focus groups and they are listed in the bulletin each week. I'd love to send you more information about any of those uh, focus, prayer focus groups. You can get more information just by sending a note to the office or calling the church office and uh, so check out the bulletin and let us know if you'd like to be involved in any of those focus groups. Uh, sign up to receive the, our weekly email prayer letter. So every week we encourage you to write down prayer requests either on your paper communication card or on your digital connect card to let us know how we can be praying for you. Then what we do, the office takes those and types them up and puts them into a Word document and emails them out, usually on Tuesdays, and emails them out to everyone on our prayer team. I want to invite you to be part of that prayer team. And to do that, we need to, you to give us permission to send you that, so you can do that on your communication card or your Connect card and make sure that we have a current email address for you. Another way to grow in your prayer life is to be part of our Unreached People Group prayer teams. So. The Tamajik Unreached People Group is one of those, and our Dagestan or CAN prayer team is the other one. Both of them send out emails with prayer lists, and both of them have monthly Zoom prayer meetings. We'd love for you to join those. Again, let us know by email or on your communication card that you'd like to be part of one of our Unreached People Group prayer teams. And of course, that leads me right back to our Tamajik event next Saturday night. I want to just mention again, and that's next step three. Choose to be part of our desert and dessert on Saturday night at 7.30. We've catered this event, so we've hired someone to make these elegant desserts. They're going to be individually wrapped in uh, these plastic cases. You're just going to come in, sit down. You're going to sit down at a nice round table with black tablecloth. And uh, so... Elegant desserts, we're going to hear from our friends that are serving in Niger, the, the uh, great things that God is doing there. I guarantee you'll be inspired in your faith and you'll be encouraged. And I just want to invite you right now to make the decision to be part of that. You don't have to uh, make a reservation at all to do that unless you want child care. And we'll have child care up through age eight that night. And if you'd like to bring children in that age group, uh, you're welcome to do that, but let us know ahead of time so we can line up enough helpers. Next step, number four, I will pray for Christ to be honored in my life. Pray for Jesus Christ to be honored, to be magnified in your life and in the life of others. And for believers, that's really the ultimate goal of our lives, to glorify God, to magnify him, whether by life or by death. One final way that I'd suggest that Christ can be honored in our lives, and that is through water baptism. So we honor Christ when we follow in obedience to what he tells us to do. And he very clearly tells us in his word to make a public profession of our faith through water baptism. And friend, if you haven't been baptized 
in water since accepting Christ as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to be baptized in a few weeks when we have our next baptism service. So it'll be the last weekend in August. And uh, we're hoping to do an outdoor service and have baptism out there, but we might end up doing it in here one way or the other. We're working toward a baptism service on that last weekend in August, and we would love to include you in that if you haven't been baptized yet. So sign up on your communication card or email or call the church office and let us know if you want more information about that. Let's pray. Would you bow with me, please? Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer for this gift that you've given us to develop an intimate and close relationship with you. And so, God, our prayer today is that you would grow us in our understanding and our devotion to prayer and thereby grow us in our relationship and our love for you. And, Father, I just want to pray over our church family today. I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to live lives that are worthy of your calling upon us. I pray, God, that you would inspire us to do good works in faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Father, I pray that you would be glorified. The name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in each one of our lives as we live out these things. And then, Father, I want to step back from that, and I want to offer this prayer invitation today as well. Maybe there is somebody listening to me right now who has never taken that first step of faith to receive your forgiveness. So, friend, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to pray along with me in the silence of your heart and just say something like this to God the Father. Say, Father, I need your forgiveness. I've sinned against you, and I know that I can't earn forgiveness, but I can receive it as a gift. And so I put my faith today in Jesus Christ because you sent him to die for me. He died in my place. He rose again to forgive me, and I receive that gift of forgiveness right now. God, we thank you for your forgiveness, and we thank you for all that you have planned for our lives. And Lord, as we close today, we thank you that you are ultimately the one who is faithful and that you have promised to do these things. Every promise you give, you will fulfill. We praise you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said,